0: Hi fashion aficionados, welcome to For the Fashion, a weekly news podcast, headlining all the current fashion industry news and going in-depth into stories about the fashion industry. This week, we headline the top news and dive into athletic wear's niche sports they're betting on and Gucci's new signature cocktail. We also talk about how streetwear brands like Hypebeast are trying to transition into physical retail spaces. I'm your host, Malia Masamoto. Let's chat. Looks like a 90-year-old cosmetics giant was no match for new online and social media-savvy makeup brands. Revlon filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy Wednesday after struggling with sales and supply chain issues. The company's sales declined 22% in 2021 and had a long-term debt of $3.31 billion as of March 31st. The brand lost shelf space and had difficulty keeping up with celebrity cosmetic brands like Kylie Cosmetics, Glossier, and Fenty Beauty. Revlon was founded back in 1932 by Charles Revson and was the second largest makeup company in the US, only behind Estee Lauder. Mr. Revson also famously presented female shoppers with the idea of matching your lipstick to your nails. But sadly for Revlon in this age market, it was out with the old and in with the new. Ralph Lauren continues to create looks on and off the court, but this is nothing new. Ralph Lauren has been the official outfitter of the championship's Wimbledon for 17 consecutive years. And again, the company is embracing their iconic sporty prep aesthetic and also sustainability for this year's tournament starting on June 27th. Ralph Lauren plans to be environment positive by 2030, so they created these uniforms with recycled materials and sustainable fabrics to be in line with their mission. The chair umpires will have black sports coats that have a Ralph Lauren-designed signature Wimbledon print with both the polo and Wimbledon emblem. The main color scheme is a traditional navy and white with the use of some stripes. Now when I'm watching Wimbledon, I may be a little distracted by the fashion, but that's totally okay. Amazon and Cartier are teaming up, but not in a collab, a lawsuit. The companies filed two joint lawsuits against social media users who used their platform to sell counterfeit luxury goods. These users falsely advertised to customers through their social media that they were selling popular counterfeit Cartier jewelry like their necklaces, rings, and most famously, their Cartier love bracelet. But then when their social media links were opened on Amazon, the jewelry pieces had generic product descriptions and were non-branded so they could avoid Amazon's counterfeit detection tools. But the products customers received were really the counterfeit jewelry with unauthorized Cartier trademarks. And Amazon has been working towards fixing this. Last year, they invested more than $900 million in an effort to protect from counterfeit and fraud on the site. Now they're going to have to take a closer look at these dupe influencers to see if they can get rid of this problem altogether. Imagine you walk up to a bar and say, I'll have a Gucci or Gucci on the rocks. Well, now if you're a fashion lover and thought that would be a fun dream, it's actually a reality. Gucci just came out with their first branded cocktail developed by a master mixologist, Giorgio Bargiani for Florence's Gucci Giardino 25 Cafe and Cocktail Bar. The brand's signature cocktail, Elisir del Elicriso is pink and based on vermouth, a few liquors, drops of London dry gin, white vinegar, red wine from Tenuta Sanguido, and an essential oil that Bargiani says smells like pizza. The mixologist Bargiani worked with Gucci to create a signature blend that encapsulates the Tuscan region in Gucci's history. He worked for over seven months and went through 15 different testings to get it just right. You can enjoy the drink at Giardino 25 for a limited time in Italy or order it on the Gucci Osteria online store. Talk about a luxury cocktail. Aloe Yoga is ready for the summertime, and not just with their athletic wear. They're tapping into the swimwear market by collaborating with South African model Candice Swanepoel and her swimwear line Tropic of Sea. And although they're offering the typical arrangement of bikinis, one-suits, woven hats, and bandos, they were not made like any of your typical suits. This collection, and specifically all of the woven pieces, were handmade by indigenous female artisans in northern Peru. You know, Tropic of Sea is committed to philanthropy work like helping these women grow their artisan business and offer them education and computer literacy classes. The pieces highlight simplicity with unique colors and the female form. The brands want their collection to be mixed with other workout pieces or even just by themselves as streetwear. So it's not your typical swimsuit collaboration, but it has a deeper purpose that's in line with Tropic of Sea's mission by working with different global charities and artisans. Now for a further in-depth look at the fashion industry. So we know that athletic and athleisure brands like Lululemon were founded on them betting on a niche athletic activity like yoga, but now that it's been around for a while and other athletic activities are gaining popularity, luxury brands and athletic wear companies are looking for new niche sports to be their inspiration. And there are a few interesting sports that have been gaining traction recently pickleball, skiing, rugby, and boxing. According to the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the U.S. The sport was created in the 60s and typically attracted an older customer demographic, but now it seems the sport is getting more youthful and brands are creating more products for their young players. There are 267% more pickleball products now versus last year. Brands like Anthropology and Mark and & Graham already sell pickleball accessories, and Fila, Nike, and Asics even started selling pickleball sneakers. So more brands are looking to build up this community and expand the clothing opportunities for the sport. Another niche sport amassing a growing audience is skiing. According to the National Ski Areas Association, the U.S. ski industry had a record-breaking 61 million visits, and Swiss ski resorts were up by 37%. And you know, skiing in that opera ski look has been a part of the fashion catalog, but now more luxury brands want to really tap into that. Louis Vuitton released their first ski wear collection back in 2021. Prada collabed with the Aspen Skiing Company and Balmain collabed with the French ski brand Rossignol. Other luxury brands want to also create these looks that can translate on and off the slopes. And the two last interesting markets, rugby and boxing. Surprisingly, rugby now has 45 million active fans in the US. And while some athletes want more rugby clothes, others just like the rugby aesthetic, so that's why we're seeing a rise in rugby polos and sweaters. And finally, boxing has been a growing popular fitness activity. Free People even did a collab with boxing brand Everlast that combined the functionality of boxing with the style and flow of Free People. Luxury even wants to capitalize on boxing, with Dolce & Gabbana and Celine selling boxing style shorts and Miu Miu with a $1,500 boxing gloves and backpack. So, could one of these new niche sports be the basis for a new athletic wear brand like Lululemon? It's definitely a possibility. A community built through the internet is trying its way in the physical retail space. Hypebeast, a digital media and e-commerce company that sells the latest drops in contemporary streetwear, is opening a 25,000-square-foot, seven-story flagship store in Chinatown in New York. Like many brands opening up physical retail stores right now, Hypebeast is more focused on their customers getting a completely immersive experience. You know, Hypebeast is known for creating content, and they're confident that their customers want to see what they're going to curate in a physical store. The store will have 40 carefully curated labels and will be a gender fluid space that isn't divided into menswear and womenswear. They're also looking to use the space as not only a transactional retail space, but one for artists and creative to do projects like their skate room, which will combine art with skate and social change. And one interesting way they're going to take inventory of the store's success is not just transactionally, but they'll be measuring its energy. They will monitor how people are interacting and engaging with the space and how diverse the people and brands are. So it will be a process to see if a highly e-commerce focused brand will be able to convert their customers to interact at a physical store location. Hypebeast has created an extremely loyal following base so they believe it will be a smooth transition to get them to engage in person. So let's hope they have good energy in the store if they want it to succeed. So we all saw Kim K wear the iconic Marilyn Monroe dress to the Met and heard the story about it not fitting her when she first tried it on. Well, it turns out the dress was returned with some damage, and some fashion historians and collectors are heartbroken. Some even cried over it. To some, it goes way beyond just a dress but has significance as an artifact of US history of pop, fashion, and even politics. The dress sold to Ripley's Believe It or Not for $4.8 million back in 2016, making it the most expensive dress ever. And the Ripley team said they did everything they could to protect the dress at the Met by having a Ripley representative with Kim at all times to ensure the safety of the dress. But footage came out later of the dress fittings where some fitters were forcibly moving the dress around and not taking as much care as some historians thought there should be. The pictures of the damage show some shredding of the material by the hooks on the back of the dress a damaged zipper, stress on the shoulder straps, and missing beads and sequins. You know, the fabric is already 60 years old, so just maintaining the dress on a display is a challenge, let alone actually wearing it. The International Council of Museums was also distraught over the damage and said that historic garments should never be worn by anybody and that museum professionals should avoid lending historic garments out. But news has come out that Ripley's commented on all the social media outbursts saying that Kim wearing the dress actually did not cause damage, and there was a report in 2017 of the dress having some wear as it was seen on the images. So what do you think? Did Kim really damage the dress? And should she have worn it at all in the first place? I guess there will have to be a continual debate. Thanks for tuning into your fashion industry news this week those rear headlines and everything you need to know about the fashion industry. Thanks for listening and see you next Friday on For the Fashion.